Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. And here I am. Here you here are. Here I am. Boom, boom. Rocking like a hurricane. That song reminds me of you. Why? Any hair, oh, hair 80 bands. bands songs from the 80s remind me of you. You know, it was on, I put it on my personal Facebook thing, the song that was on the other day, uh, When I See You Smile. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that song. Mm-hmm. Don't you mm-hmm. love that song? When I see you smile. So I did just finish, not that we're going to talk about it today, but I did finish the Aaron Hernandez story. Oh, the documentary. The documentary. I feel like I read a book about him or something because I knew most of the story already. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that story I did not know. Like his childhood friend part? His childhood friend part. Um, just the uh, multiple killings. I watch the third Multiple one. murders. And um, yeah, he was he was an animal. He was, but I think like th- it wasn't that I saw because I only watched the first two and there's three episodes yeah. or whatever they're called. Right. Parts of it. And I remember a picture from, it must have been a book. I, I don't I don't even know what I read or whatever. They show literally like head to head contact, but his helmet had come off. So his right. head went into the other guy's helmet. Right. In football. Yeah. So and and then he had that traumatic yeah. or whatever it's called the brain. He had the C, he had CTE. Right. Definitely. And and it was very severe and it was not an acute form. So it wasn't like a you know it had happened over the last couple of years. Uh, the the doctor had said it it had to be like 10 years of right. And trauma. he and, wasn't like a troublemaking kid or a violent n- kid, right? Uh, no, but I don't, you know it, this uh, this CTE it, that's definitely a thing, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't think it was the only thing that caused him to. I think it had a lot to do with, and people disagree with me, but like his sexuality, the things that he was hiding. I feel like he felt like he always had to like prove how tough he was, mm-hmm. and I I don't know. And I feel like he just he made very poor poor decisions which is also part of the cte but i think it was a combination and one of the guys that's interviewed in the documentary basically said the same thing like Uh i don't think it was the major thing that caused him to be that way right i think it was just a combination of things i would like to see the third letter the one supposedly to his gay lover right i want that one yeah we're well, never going to well, get it unless he sells that. it, which everybody's got a price. Well, it's not a New York story. He was from Bristol, Connecticut, so it's, you close. know, sort of close. But uh, anyway, that is not the case we're going to talk about today. No, maybe if we start a podcast called Criminal Connecticut, we'll cover that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just came to me. Um. So, but today we're going to cover a case and... If you look it up, it goes by Son of Sal. So it's like a play on the Son of Sam. Right. But the guy's name was Salvatore Perone. Okay. Okay, so I'm just going to get right into it. Get in there. I'm going to get in there. Get her done. I'm going to have trouble with these names. Oh, God, why do you pick the ones with the screwed up names? They're not screwed up names. They're difficult for us to pronounce. 
All right, go ahead. On July 6, 2012, Mohammed Gabelli, 65 years old, was ending his workday at his store, Valentino Fashion, in the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn. Brooklyn! Gabelli was born in Egypt and came to the U.S. for a better life. He was a practicing Muslim. At around 11.30 p.m., a friend of Gabelli was passing by his clothing store. He noticed that the lights were still on in the store and it should have been closed for some time, so he checked the door and it was open. He went inside and found Muhammad in the back of the store. He was covered with some clothing, but when he removed it, he saw that he had a single gunshot wound to the neck. Okay. Okay. He was deceased. Okay. Less than a month later, on August 2nd, 2012, Isaac Kader, 59 years old, was closing up his store, amazing 99 cents deals in the Bensonhurst section of Brooklyn. Kader was also born in Egypt and came to the U.S. for a better life for his family. He was a devout Sephardic Jew who studied the Talmud daily. A customer came into the store before 9 p.m. and found Kader bleeding from an obvious head wound. Police arrived around 8.50 and he was declared dead. Kader was shot in the head and his throat was slit. Mm. He was dragged to the back of the store and an attempt was made to cover him up. Okay. Hmm. At this point, the press and police were looking for motives. And one that was pretty interesting, I don't know if it's far-fetched, uh, was that the address of the first murder was 7718. And the second was 1877. So it had... They all had the same numbers. Okay. They're just right. reaching for maybe some tart. How about they were both from Egypt and owned clothing or owned businesses? And I don't know. Let's see. On November 16th, 2012, so just a, a, a couple of months later, around 7 p.m., Ramatola Vahidipur, 78 years old, was behind the counter at his clothing store the Shishi Boutique in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. He was from Iran. He was a practicing Jew. At 7.11 p.m., a customer went in the store and discovered his body. At 7.19 p.m., the police were called. The investigation showed that Vahidipur was shot as he stood behind the counter and then was dragged 10 feet towards the back of the store. His face was also concealed. He was shot three times in the head, the face, and the chest. The street address, here we go, was 834 Flatbush Avenue. So now the only numerical link was the number eight, which is quite a stretch. Yeah, now that's really not the link. So the police offered a $22,000 reward, and all the victims were of Middle Eastern descent. So people started to worry that these were hate crimes, which is you know, what I was thinking as well. After Vahidipur's murder, CCTV footage from nearby locations revealed images of some people that the police wanted to interview. So I think it was like four different people. Mm -hmm. One was a, of a man and a woman running down the street. And as she's running, the woman takes off a green jacket and throws it into the trash. They were able to rule three of the people out. They were able to focus on one image that they thought was the murderer, and the police dubbed him John Doe Duffelbag and circulated that image to the public. Right. So I think they interviewed that man and that woman and then the other 
person and ruled them out. Okay. But at first, that man and woman I mean, running was promising. And throwing at a jacket, you right. would think, right, exactly. So the image of John Doe duffel bag was matched to Salvatore Perone by a witness. Perone was at a pharmacy in Staten Island. He had dropped off his prescription to be filled, and while he was waiting and shopping, the police came in, and he was brought in for questioning. And he immediately confessed to killing Kader and Gabelli. So the first two murders... He just confesses right away. Wow. Okay. He said that he was working with the Palestinian section of the CIA and was going to be paid $100,000 for their murders. Okay. Are we, do we believe this? He denied any involvement in Bahidipur's death. The police said he was very arrogant during the interrogations. And at one point he even said, I'll be out of here by the morning. Okay. Yeah. Uh... So at this point he's confessed and he's arrested, right? For those two. For those two. The police found a... So they do a search. Okay. And they search his girlfriend's apartment, because that's where he spent most of his time. And they found a the duffel bag that he was carrying. And in the bag, they found a twenty two caliber rifle, a serrated knife that matched the one used to slit Kader's throat. They found bleach, black gloves, and pantyhose. Hmm. Pour's blood was found on the outside of the bag. So that's going to link him then to that murder. Right. Why would he confess to the other two and not confess, confess to the third one? I have no idea. And the shells that were in the bag as well were matched to the ones used in the shootings. Perone's fingerprints and DNA were on the rifle. Then his home was searched and it was falling apart. It had debris and trash in the yard. So I'm, I picture like almost, I'm picturing like a hoarder's yard. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like from the show. Right, right, right. right. One of my favorite shows, by the way. Right. And you know, with them, there's some sort of mental issue. Absolutely. And I just yes. feel like when you're home and your yard and is in disarray like that, something's going on. Uh, yes, it's a, it, it is a mental condition. I don't know. This is like too clean for me. Let's learn a little bit more about Salvatore, mm -hmm. right? So Salvatore Perone was born on November 22nd, 1948, and he lived in Staten Island, New York, and he was a clothing salesman. He was married to Maria Salerno, and the couple purchased a home together on Staten Island in 1985. They divorced in 1987, and he had a rap sheet. His rap sheet was two DWIs in Staten Island in 2002 and 1998, theft in New Jersey in 2005, and in 2001 in Pennsylvania, he was charged with stalking, burglary, harassment, and public drunkenness when he broke into his girlfriend's house when he was drunk. He was allowed to plead guilty to trespassing and in 2007, he trademarked his name in the hopes of starting a clothing line. In the summer of 2012, he had been living in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So he was in Brooklyn. His neighbors called him the son of Sal because he was odd. He lived alone. His house and yard were full of junk, as we mentioned before, and unkempt. And he was also calling the police to complain about his neighbors. One of his neighbors said, if he is the fellow and he is convicted, we'll throw a block party. He's insane. But a serial killer? That's a long stretch. By the time of the murders, he had a dollar and 84 cents to his name. 
Mm-hmm. Worse off than you. See worse that? off than me. Could always be worse. Mm-hmm. So now we're just going to go with some quotes that people who knew him had said after his arrest. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm quoting. I am not saying these things. This Perone was an empty suit nobody, a mouse that you know just by his neighborhood face. You didn't think he could kill time, never mind three people in cold blood. He was trying to be clever. Yes. Well, here's another one. When I, when I seen his face in the daily news as the son of Sal, I could place him in the local cafes sipping an espresso, always a big, fat, long cigar, smoothing his thin, thinning hair all the time. Heard he liked to gamble. So another quote, everybody sees Perone's picture in the Daily News and on TV. 30 guys know who he is, but nobody knows, knows him. Sal Perone is a well-dressed loner, obsessed with his thinning hair, who liked gambling and broads. So this, these are the quotes that people are saying about him. Right. So he doesn't sound like such a great no. person. No, nobody had anything nice to say about, about Sal. So as when he confessed, his CIA, Palestinian CIA connection was kind of a red flag in the mental health arena. That's what I thought. Yeah. So at his first court appearance, Perone told the judge, I have not been given any access to the outside world. Are we in the United States of America? You're in jail, buddy. Yeah. He kind of goes back and forth here. Initially, in December 2014, he was found unfit to stand trial. He was sent to the Kirby Psychiatric Center on Wards Island. The doctors found that Perone's ambivalence toward defense assistance, his paranoia regarding court personnel, and his rigid, repetitive manner of thinking all point to the presence of a psychiatric disorder. Thank you very much. That's what I say. He has either a delusional disorder or a paranoid personality disorder. Yeah, right. How much money do they make? To figure that out. I know. We could have figured that out. We could have figured that out 10 minutes ago. In May 2015, so five months later, he was found fit to stand trial. The doctor said his CIA involvement thought process reflects a grandiosity on his part that is more consistent with a personality disorder rather than a mental disease or defect. Now, that's... I didn't know there was a difference between a personality disorder and a mental disease. Well, you can have a personality disorder and still know right from wrong and what you're doing is wrong. Right? That's the standard. Okay. All right. But that's that would be like insanity versus not insane. Right. I'm just saying that... In I, general? In general, personality disorder is a mental disease. I don't know. Well, I'm not a doctor. So. Well, this is a quote from a doctor, so maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about either. Apparently not. Apparently not, because Dr. Meredith knows. <laughs> he wanted to represent himself, but we know about that. thankfully that was denied. And I only say thankfully not because I wouldn't have wanted to see that spectacle or have him convicted because he stunk at representing himself, but that's like an insta appeal. If you represent yourself, I just feel like it's m- much easier to appeal and potentially get your conviction overturned. I I guess so, but uh, we we we've discussed this before. You never represent yourself. No, and you never speak to the police without an attorney. Whoa. In July, the judge finally granted his request to represent himself. And the judge said to his defense attorney, 
I love, love this. I officially relieve you from representing the defendant. Try not to smile. <laughs> wow. I'm guessing he was a difficult client. I, I, I would think so. He maintained his innocence. And to support that, he provided a list of suspects. Oh. In all, he provided a list of 65 people. But on the list were, uh, these are just a few, John Doe Calvin Klein Company, John Doe Merchants, Dr. John Doe Lutheran Hospital, John Doe Car Service, his girlfriend, his own girlfriend, two lawyers he knew, and then just a few random acquaintances. Is he serious? He actually said John Doe? Yes. <sighs> this guy's nuts. In October, the judge ordered a second psychiatric evaluation because, as his own attorney, Perone was acting very strange. Obviously. So by December, he was found to be insane and unfit to stand trial. Again, he is found fit to stand trial. So Kader's daughter testified that Perone came in earlier the day of the murder and bought a can opener and he was, you know, fine and right. didn't seem odd or than normal. So they were all familiar with him because he had come into the store. Right. But then Perone's girlfriend testified that after Vahidapur's murder... They went out to a club and were dancing like a couple of hours later, the Crystal Dance Club in Brooklyn. Okay. So he's just, he's just all over the place. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a loose cannon. He actually takes the stand. So while he's on the stand, he says that he was framed by a man named Michael Bila, who was an Iranian national who he did business with in the past and had given him the duffel bag and everything that's in it. So that's like super convenient, right? So after a four-week trial on February 10th, 2016, hallelujah, mm -hmm. he was found guilty of three counts of second-degree murder. On March 4th, he was sentenced to 75 years to life. So that's 25 to life for each murder. Right. The judge said, you're lucky we don't have the death penalty here in New York. You would be a prime candidate. Yeah, not something you want to hear. So at the sentencing, Gabelli's son said to Perone, I've known you for 20 years. Every time you walked into my dad's store, it was near closing and my father would stay open and wait for you. Aw. We treated you with love and respect. What did he do? Why did you do this? Yeah, I mean, that's what I would be thinking, too. Like, what? Wh well, obviously, he <sighs> thinks he works for the Palestinian CIA, so. Right. Vahidipur's daughter said, My father was a dedicated, hardworking man, lived a life with dignity. God will punish you. You're pathetic. You will rot and die alone, loser. I like her. I like that. Loser. I like her. Perone's response was to deny that he did the shootings, and he said, If I'm lying, hang me. Well, we can't. Well, he will be eligible for parole in November of 2087. He'll be dead. Why do you say that? Because that's in 60 years and he's already well, 60. Right. But, uh, you know, you never know the way that these things go. So so this was, a. I mean, this really wasn't like a, hmm, I wonder what happened. Who no. did it? No, but it was just a story of this guy. Right. He was fine and successful and functioning. Like what happens that makes you do this to people who haven't even provoked you? What does this mental illness but why those three people it's not like he snapped and was in the store with them like he went and planned it out and 
No, I know mental illness. The guy's nuts. It's just interesting to think like, why wasn't it the guy next door? Right, right, right. I don't know. Why don't you ask him? Just wasn't their day. No, apparently not. And that's very sad because they were hardworking men and and very nice to him. So yes, very sad. And well, that's it for the Son of Sal episode. We're getting ready for Crime Con. We are getting ready for Crime Con. I don't want to talk about that right now. Aren't you excited? No. <laughs> it's going to be fun. What aren't you excited about? Just the flying? Yeah. Okay. Well, we could take a train and have one of those cars with the beds. Take a train to the plane. Take a car to the bar. I don't mind taking a train. All right. Well, we'll talk about that on another day. Okay. We got a lot of listens for our little Jane Doe episode. Oh, we did? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. And we got some responses. People were saying, glad you're covering some Jane Doe's and stuff. So mm. that's exciting. We are going to do another one this week. We are? We are. Okay. Right now? Right now. Oh. Well, not right now. Right. Next. Next. You just never know, Mare. You never know. We could solve a crime. We could. It would be exciting. Nefarious New York crime solvers. Yeah. The P.I. <laughs> I'm chewing granola. All right, so that was it for this episode. We will see you guys next week. Yes, on Nefarious New York. On July 6, 2012, a few days after 4th of July, hence July 6th. Why did I put that? <laughs> on November 16th, 2012, around 7 p.m. P.m.? I'm already on the guy's name. Rum. I'm like. P.M. <laughs> you would love the bad one. On November. <laughs> Ramatola Vahidipur, 70. 70- <laughs>